Well, good day and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, Senior Editor at Light Reading. And I am uh, Chris Rabby, uh, CEO at Fiberlight. Great. Well, Chris, uh, thanks for, for being our guest on the podcast today. Pre- appreciate that. Yeah, pleasure to do it and happy to be here. Sure thing. So, you know, just to kind of kick things off, you know, at, at a base level, right, Fiberlight is a, a network builder, right? I mean, the last boilerplate information I saw uh, made note that uh, the company operates like 17,000 route miles of fiber and 78,000 pre-qualified or uh, near net buildings across 30 U.S. metro areas were the numbers I saw. But, um, you know, I thought it would be good to have you set the stage a bit and expand on, you know, the company and, and the current focus. You know, for example, do you uh, does Fiberlight provide end services or is it the infrastructure uh, piece and others do that? Yeah, I just want to kind of set the stage here for everybody. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair question. It's probably helpful background for people who aren't all that familiar with Fiberlight. But, mm-hmm. you know, Fiberlight's been around for quite a while, um, almost coming up on 20 years now um, in various iterations. And, you know, while I've only been in this seat for what's coming up on two years, um, we've built a lot of network along the way, as the stats that you cited would indicate. Um, and we do a variety of things with that network infrastructure. Um, we serve some customers direct and other customers we serve indirectly via our wholesale or, or channel relationships. Um, our, our business really kind of segments into three main areas, which I would say is kind of hyperscaler and technology infrastructure type customers of ours. We've got uh, carrier business. And I kind of lumped together with that wholesale or kind of indirect channel business. And then the last piece is really the direct business we do with enterprise customers. Um, and all of it is kind of business to business focused telecom services. We don't serve any residential or, or SMB retail type customers uh, the way we're set up today. Right. And what uh, of the pieces of your business, which one uh, do they kind of um, break down pretty evenly or is there one that's kind of the 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 lead dog, so to speak? Yeah, I'd say they're fairly comparable. I'd say uh, probably wholesale and carrier has been traditionally the largest source of revenue and, and customer count for Fiberlight. Um, as things have evolved, I think we've shifted a little bit more towards the hyperscale base and, and certainly spending some time focusing on enterprise or business customers as well now, because, you know, as, as you would imagine, you build out <clears throat> networks and you use your anchor customer relationships to do the initial build out. And then you follow on behind that with incremental customers. And those tend to be either add on carrier business or add on enterprise business. So it's, it's a little bit of an evolution, but they're roughly equal contributors to our business size wise today. Okay, great. And I guess there, uh, uh, there's a recent bit of news <laughs> for your company, yeah. right? The, the yeah, definitive it, agreement. Yeah. With uh, Morrison and company. Right. So maybe, yeah, you may detail that a little bit, but, uh, but really talk about the strategy behind that deal and, and uh, you know, why you think the timing was right for that. Yeah, you, you got that right. I mean, it's been an exciting, uh, let's say we're three quarters of the way through the year mm-hmm. uh, so far. Um, the news closing the second quarter was the definitive agreement we signed with 
Morrison and Company. And just by way of background, for those who might not be familiar with Morrison, because they're not really a household name here in the U.S., uh, they're a New Zealand and Australia-based infrastructure fund. Um, and I think, you know, you know, we can get into more detail on it, but I think they're a great match for Fiberlight for a variety of reasons. Um, they see the value in the business over the mid and long term. And I think, you know, that's kind of part and parcel of investing in fiber infrastructure. You have to have the right timescales involved uh, or in mind when you put your money to work. And I think uh, their long-term view on investment in the infrastructure space is a perfect fit for us. And, you know, we're, we're right now in that uh, limbo period between signing and closing, but um, we're excited about the future and, and certainly everything that we can do as a partnership together, Morrison. Right. And as far as like uh, going forward then um, with, with them, uh, with this agreement, is uh, do you see this as a way to uh, help fund uh, growth opportunities or, uh, you know, strategically, how, how do you see that kind of fitting forward, you know, once everything's in place, of course? Yeah. And yeah, w once the dust has settled on the uh, regulatory approval stuff, which is really the mm -hmm. only thing that's left, um, I see this as, as a great partnership oriented around growth. That's what they want. That's what we want. I think we're well positioned in the markets in which we operate to capture growth. Um, and, you know, all the discussions we had leading up through the agreement and, and in the days and months since the agreement was signed, um, really, like I said, we're excited about kind of figuring out how best to put uh, Morrison's appetite to invest in our business to work. Because, you know, like when you, you come through a transition like this, you've got a lot of choices on how to grow, whether that be market, you know, growing into different markets or different services or different customer segments, all of those options are on the table. And, and we're excited mm -hmm. about kind of running them to ground and figuring out which ones make the right sense in which order. But uh, growth is definitely the, the story here for sure. Right. And if you were to kind of talk about your priorities with 2023 kind of on the around the corner, I guess, uh, do you see uh, I mean, is growth going to be the, the priority or are there other areas that uh, are kind of front burner for you? Well, you know, it's, it, it's a good question, Jeff. I, I think the you know, I'm a big believer in, in kind of doing the foundational things right. And, you know, whatever we embark on in terms of a, a new segment of our business, um, I want to do it well and kind of with top tier quality. So for me, growth is is about getting the house in order, right? There's a lot of things we can do organizationally and operationally, which which candidly aren't all that sexy and exciting, whether it be, you know, revamping yeah. your OSS or fleshing out your product catalog. Those kind of things are absolutely things we're going to do. And I do believe they're going to manifest themselves in growth, but that's just going to be one prong of our growth attack, right? We're, we will look at you know, new territories as those opportunities present themselves. And, and certainly, I would say, expanding the product offerings that we have. Because as things sit here today, we're, we're kind of midway through, I would say, an evolution from being a largely construction-focused company to one that's trying to um, be more compelling in the services arena. And that's not a unique transition. I mean, I've you know, been in telecom a long time and been at a couple of other companies who have made that transition. We certainly can and will do that, but there's work we need to do to be good at those things because you can't just show up to enterprise customers, some of them mid to high end enterprises, mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm here to sell you services without really doing it with quality and excellence. And that's kind of where kind of the hybrid focus on doing things well that we do today and kind of getting into new territories in the 
in okay. 23. Yeah, and, and on the new territory idea, uh, do you have um, some thoughts yet on how you're going to go about that? I mean, would it be uh, maybe growth through acquisition there, or do you think you'll you'll need to go in and, and build uh, you know, in, in those areas, or is it a combination? Could it be a combination? Yeah, I, I well, look, with, without, I would say, tipping any secrets, I think all options are on the table, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think Morrison is is very interested. They like the U.S. market, and they've got a lot of uh, resources to bring to bear should we see the right opportunities in terms of M&A. But like most of FiberLite's success historically, I think we've expanded geographically you know, in partnership with our customers, our anchor tenant customers, okay. whether they be, you know, large um, mobile operators or hyperscalers or you name it. I think that's been a good formula for us. And I think we'd look to replicate that going forward. If there's great opportunity to kind of pounce on something in the market from an acquisition perspective, which would accelerate into markets we've otherwise identified as having value and good fit for Fiberlite, we certainly would be willing to look at all of those things. And we'll look at all those things. Right. Okay. And if you, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the competitive landscape that you have. Um, yeah, there's a lot of infrastructure players in the market that, that either, you know, some are just, you know, uh, putting down networks for others to ride on top of. You know, you're talking about uh, uh, services and, and kind of an emphasis there in, in addition to kind of a wholesale approach. But, um, I guess my question is there, uh, you know, how do you uh, talk a little bit about your competition? You know, who do you come up against, but also uh, what do you kind of view as FiberLite's big differentiator in the markets where you're at? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And and I'll probably try my best to elegantly sidestep giving you specific <laughs> competitors, but yeah. Uh, I mean, Understood. Look, yeah, right. I mean, and 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 look, in in all honesty, I think given the various segments we compete in, both geographically and kind of how we stratify across different customer segments, it's really not one competitor, right? There's different people who show up in different parts of our business, um, you know. But one of the things I think is an important differentiator for us is the fact that. Well, we have a lot of network, right? And a lot of people have network, but much of our network is in places where there aren't all that many competitors, to be be completely honest, right? I mean, Texas has been an amazing market for us, and I think we expect it to continue to be that way. And we have some very unique assets outside the core, I guess, dash cities of Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, where there are a lot of competitors you know, the power of networks is obviously not just if you're in Dallas as an example, but if you can connect to the locations the customers care about outside the major metros, you have a compelling story. And, you know, I've, like I said earlier, I've seen that work in a lot of other places I've, I've been business-wise. Um, but I also think we we are flexible, small enough and flexible enough to put together offerings, whether it be infrastructure offerings or service offerings, in a way that maybe bigger players have been historically resistant to doing. I think it's helped us with both uh, mobile operators and hyperscalers in particular, where they have very, I'd say, specific ways they want to buy. Sometimes it's to own assets, sometimes it's to lease assets, sometimes it's lit fiber, sometimes it's dark fiber. And we take pride in being able to put together a customized and almost bespoke network offering that suits exactly what they're looking to accomplish, both from a technical perspective, but also a financial perspective. And I think that helps us win business 
where some of our other competitors are, are more rigid in their approach, either technically or, or, or commercially, um, which creates opportunity for us. Okay, great. I wanted to switch gears a little bit, right? We kind of set the table in terms of uh, where you are today, some ideas of you know where FiberLite might go. And from our standpoint, we've covered the impact of the pandemic, right, on, on kind of the whole broadband world pretty extensively over the past, yeah. you know, two and a half years, I guess it's been now. But, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of what we've talked about and, and gotten into is kind of the impact on capacity, particularly in the upstream and, and the access network and, and so forth. And, you know, the surge, and, and, and along with that, there was a big surge in broadband customers. You know, again, I know you don't, you're not covering the, the residential uh, world, but you know you are on the business side, and there there was a lot of pull forward on the residential end. But uh, my question is, um, I mean, how has the the, the pandemic impacted uh, your business with respect to uh, businesses? Maybe some were you know relocating out of major metros or expanding, or you know maybe even moving into rural areas, uh, you know, areas yeah. outside of where they were before. Yeah. Uh, good, good, good questions. And, and look, the pandemic, I think has been hard to, I would say, put, put a finger on from a fiber light perspective mm-hmm. in terms of how it's directly imp- impacted our business, because we were largely a distributed company to begin with. So when people packed up and kind of went home early in 2020, I think we were well positioned to operate in that mode. So I think, I won't say business as usual because it wasn't business as usual for anyone, but I think we quickly adapted to that. And I think that helped us a little bit at the beginning, right? Because we're still open for business very early. Um, I th- you know, And then as you pointed out, while I don't personally uh, work in the residential space now, the most recent position was at an MSO uh, based in the New York metro area and some of the same territories I operate in now. And I definitely um, feel and see both directly and indirectly the kind of shift of people going more rural. And I, I believe that creates opportunity for FiberLite, candidly, based on my comments earlier around some of the places our network exists where, you know, it's not downtown Dallas or Houston, where there are seven providers, for argument's sake, on almost every street or in every tall, shiny building. So while, you know, some of the source of business revenue might be diminished relative to occupancy in major metros, which I think is still the case, although that's starting to kind of creep back in. I do think the shift of businesses to more rural areas and people working remotely, which while, like I said, doesn't benefit us directly because we don't serve residential customers, we do have a lot of our customers who do support that aspect of the business. So we get indirectly, we get revenue through that, whether it be um, you know, a fiber to the home provider who needs bandwidth in a metro, or I would call it a metro, a city, far flung from a major metro or a WISP or some other provider who ultimately needs fiber connectivity to get back to um, the internet or the cloud or the world at large. So I think, you know, I would say net positive for us. And I think given um, the increasing demands on wireless networks for whom we provide a significant amount of backhaul, especially in Texas, as an example, um, that's given us, I'd say, an accelerated path to upgrades on backhaul service, uh, which probably would have come eventually, but maybe not quite as soon as it has so far. So while I would never go and say that you know COVID has been good to us, I don't think it's been 
negatively impacting our business. Um, and I think it's, it, you know, not, not to kind of overbeat this one, but I think it, the emphasis that is coming for bridging the digital divide, especially in rural areas that are underserved, ultimately will help us in the long run, I think, because there's, you know, a significant amount of government funding either coming to providers like us who can do middle mile or to these last mile providers, which will in turn help us because we've got existing network in the areas they're looking to do business. So I think I'm, I'm kind of glass half full at, on it at the moment. Okay. Well, the next thing, and maybe it's kind of related, uh, again, because you're not serving residential customers, but you know we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, you know, money coming in from uh, on the federal funding side for broadband in unserved uh, or underserved areas, uh, whether that's, you know, through RDOF or, you know, the bead program that's coming up. But, um, uh, and again, I think this kind of ties into what you were just talking about, but does, um, does Fiberlight have a, a seat at that table, you know, either directly or indirectly, you know, you talked a little bit about middle mile connectivity and so forth. And, uh, you know, maybe if you, even if you don't have an access network in the traditional sense of like a cable operator or a uh, telco, it, it still feels like, you know, there still needs to be some some additional fiber kind of backing everything up. Yeah, I, I am a big believer in that. And I think that um, we we will have a seat at the table again, whether it's the seat right at the table or the seat behind the guy who's sitting at the table. I think right. that's that's kind of the role we're looking at. I mean, there are some specific middle mile grants and I think we'll be participating directly in those in the states uh, or the markets and territories where we feel we have strength and can put a compelling case together. Um, you know, the indirect stuff I, I, I find to be interesting. I mean, I, I think there's it's spawned a lot of entrance, new entrance into markets and certainly um, both fe federal funding dollars and, and investment dollars from from private industry is flowing into the space. So I think you know, in, in unless people feel like they can replicate, you know, kind of middle mile and long haul networks all across large geographies, I think that's going to be net beneficial to businesses like Fiberlight uh, who have assets in place. Um, <clears throat> you, you know, I, I also think it, it creates a little bit of, of chaos in the marketplace, to be honest, because I think people are in a little bit of a rush to plant a flag um, in terms of we're going to go and do fiber the home and this. Uh, part of the state or or this geography, um, whether or not all those entities will end up being kind of long term successful will be interesting to see that play out over time. But um, yeah. you know we'll we'll be in there partnering with the right people and and supporting you know our customers who who look to buy on the wholesale side. So yeah, well I'm sure all those those dollar signs they see <laughs> you know, kind of uh, right. perk them up and uh, say so, yeah we'd love to you know, be part of that. Um, you're right. And I think we did see, uh, when just kind of going through the whole phase one of Ardoff, yeah. Um, <laughs> some of the players that, uh, uh, came away with bids and then, yeah. Uh, and then the other foot dropped and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're not part of it, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how things are approached kind of at the state level, particularly with, with bead. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, was, I guess, uh, Fiberlight did a, kind of a survey related to, I don't know if it was the pandemic or, or if it was related to kind of what's going on, uh, you know, the rural market or the the market at large. But, um, you know, I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about the, the aims of the survey, maybe have you highlight, you know, some of the findings for us. 
Yeah, I, we did conduct a survey earlier in the year, and I think you know it, it, it. We had a sense for some of the things we learned, but it's always good to reach out to customers or potential customers um, to try to validate what we see happening. And I think some of the things that were, were I would say, good news um, for us is that a lot of people are considering. Uh, when I say people, I mean business making, business decision makers are considering. Texas and and the major cities in Texas high on their list as potential locations for uh, relocating some or all of their business. I mean, I think it's um, been in the news quite a bit over the past year plus where there's a laundry list of companies, many based in California and other parts of the country who have looked at, you know, the business environment, the cost of living, uh, tax rates, regulations, you name it. Um, as it relates to Texas as an attractive place to come and do business. And I think when, you know, you're an established provider in a place like that, that, that bodes well. And I think, um, you know, the, the addition of incremental locations to businesses is going to be scrutinized, I'd say, especially in light of the whole kind of return to work stuff. But I think that if Texas is an example, and, and by the way, I don't mean to focus over, overly on Texas because, you know, our network presence in, in Georgia and in other places like Tampa and, and Northern Virginia also have their own attractiveness to it. But I think the survey put uh, a particular highlight on um, some of the more rural areas that we already operate in. Um, you know, we, we also, you know, kind of validated, again, what's not really super newsworthy, but it's this the hybrid and cloud infrastructure model that people have been adopting gradually over the past, I would say, five years has really accelerated um, through the pandemic. I think it's, you know, one of those things, you know, just nature of all of us meeting almost exclusively on Teams or Zoom or WebEx or, you know, whatever platform of choice. Or what I we're think doing here. It, yeah. yeah, exactly what we're doing <laughs> yeah. here, right? Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. helped um, cast kind of infrastructure and, and, and the connectivity these businesses have to the cloud in even more critical light than it was before. Um, and when you know we can bring what I consider to be best in class, big bandwidth solutions to the table, I think that that just brings your product into the limelight. You know, it was already important, but now I think it's indispensable for many of these businesses. So I think we we validated that. I think um, you know, obviously speed and low latency has been a priority for a long time. I think security, network security, and, and obviously reliability and uptime um, are, are key. You know, when you have diverse routes, which we do from many other providers, I think that gives, you know, people who view their network connectivity as crucial to their business and other sense of comfort that, that we can provide a solution that's perhaps better than the other guy. So. All right. Great. Well, yeah. thanks for running through the highlights for that. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I appreciate the the opportunity to to connect with you here. You know, I learned a bunch, and uh, yeah, I think we're gonna leave it there for today, Chris. But uh, it was great to have you on the podcast. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, super happy to be here, Jeff, and uh, happy to do it anytime. So thank All you. Right. You bet. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh-huh.